Welcome to TechLink in Conversation. This episode is part of our vulnerability series. My name's Hannah Coffey and I am the Vulnerability and Client Assistance Manager at Technical Connection. During our conversations throughout the series, myself and Jan Levy from Three Hands will be speaking with a number of organisations, charities and importantly lived experts across a range of vulnerabilities. We hope through our episodes to bring life to a range of vulnerable circumstances, to raise awareness of the signs and the symptoms that financial planners and support teams may wish to consider so that you have the best conversations with your clients to ensure the greatest outcomes. This particular podcast focuses on divorce and relationship breakdowns. Yeah, over to you. Thank you very much, Hannah, and very good to see you and good to be here again. And um, in the virtual room today. Uh, we have our contributors on this topic of uh, divorce and relationship breakdown, and they're all from um, a brilliant charity called Gingerbread. Um, and we'll hear a little bit about Gingerbread in just a moment. But we've got Jack Gillis here with us um, as our charity expert. He's an advice worker at Gingerbread, so uh, spends a lot of time talking to people going through separation. So can bring us a lot of insight on that. And Helen is from Gingerbread, but actually Helen is here as our as our lived expert, somebody who's been through separation and divorce. And it's really, really kind of you, Helen, to come and talk to us about your experiences today. We really appreciate it. Um, and Farah is here, Farah Baldock, who is the head of communications and digital at uh, Gingerbread. And, and Farah, you're here mostly to listen, but um, you might chip in. You never know. So feel, feel free to join in the conversation if you, if you like. Um, and welcome, everybody. And thank you very much for joining us. Jack, just... Give us a quick rundown of what you do at Gingerbread, just to uh, get us going. Hi, well, thanks very much for, for having us. Um, I'm Jack, I am an advice worker at Gingerbread. Um, I work predominantly on the single person's helpline, the single parent's helpline, um, which is a free phone helpline service for uh, single parents, many of whom are separating or in the process of separating. Um, my job is predominantly answering calls on the helpline, normally about four hours a day. Um, I am also responsible for doing, um, like writing copy for our website, writing our fag sheets, advising colleagues um, on kind of single parent issues within the organisation. Um, so yeah, I am sort of an expert in single parent issues, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and importantly, if you're on that helpline four hours a day, you know, what I might describe it as being on the cold face. You're there. You understand what is going on in people's lives. Um, yeah. And so, you know, whatever you share with us today, I think, comes from a place of reality. So, um, yeah, thank, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and Helen, um, I know you work at Gingerbread, but actually you're here, as I said earlier, as our lived expert. And it's very kind of you to come along and talk about your own experiences of this topic of um, relationship breakdown, separation. Um, Divorce, and that's I think where we'll start if it's all right with you. Hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of stories, and and and, and unfortunately, divorce, etc., is very, very common. The, the stats um, something like uh, 42% is the divorce rate in the UK at the moment. Um, so, um, many people have been through it, many people know others who've been through it. It won't be unfamiliar territory to financial advisors, but hearing about the realities. Um, I think will be really useful in touching upon the financial impact, the emotional impact, the practical impact will, will be helpful. Anyway, I'm talking way too much. Um, so Helen, um, over to you just to talk a little bit about your experiences. Okay, 
Okay, well, yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll try and put it in a nutshell, really. Um, myself and my husband were married for about 20 years, so, and we had two daughters. We still do have two daughters, in fact, who are young adults now, but they were in their early teens at the time when we separated. And um, so that was a good few years ago now. And I think for me, um, it, it was very much a very slow separation. We knew for some years that we would be splitting, but because there were various reasons about my ex-husband's needs of his own and the children and so on, we just drifted along. And then eventually um, we separated. And really what became apparent as I did that, that I hadn't really thought things through financially, it was very much worries about finance, which stopped, stopped us from making the move. But actually when it came to it, I realised I hadn't really thought it through at all. And, and that sort of produced some sort of practical and financial issues, really, that I hadn't anticipated, which I guess are, are still with me now, several years later. And what kind of issues were those? I think the biggest one was that um, we weren't advised. So basically, um, the idea was that I would remain in our house with our daughters and my husband would move into rented accommodation and what he could afford at the time was a room in a shared house which was quite a challenge in itself for an older person mm. um he was well into his 50s at that point um and my we stayed in the house but we also wanted to move so we wanted to take the advantage to move to a different area as well and it was only at the very last minute the day before we exchanged contracts and, and the the mortgage was finalized that we realized that my ex-husband couldn't continue as co-owner of the house and so i ended up um taking on full responsible the house which was okay financially because i was going to continue the mortgage myself anyway but i was left with a very sort of big sense of responsibility about having no formal arrangement about what happened to the house in due course and i'm still in that position that yeah. i'm trusted to look after it and i'm trusted to give a portion back at some point but we had no advice on you know what the what a fair or correct way of doing that is and so, so that's, that's been the, the biggest effect so that was advice on the legalities of after the divorce went through you were no longer able to have this shared mortgage it sounds like mm. and, and yeah was, i mean you just didn't realize so it was about the no technicalities that you hadn't appreciated yeah the mortgage advisor forgot to tell us that that, right. that was the case that, that unless someone's living in a house you can't take a mortgage out on it yeah. so um so that's been the biggest thing but also finance wise i think you know i did take on all the costs of the home um which was okay because i was earning a bit more and like i said my ex was on quite a low income so couldn't afford much anyway so i was sort of okay to do that but of course the sheer costs of that hitting one person as well as some debts that I took with me from the relationship, that that's quite a big thing and quite a big adjustment. We weren't wealthy before, but it certainly has been an adjustment. And I think that's something really important to recognise for single parents that they have they have to pay for everything on their own. Yeah. And um, the, you know, most most single parents are you know on a on a relatively lower income, some yeah. much lower. But for me, you know, I, I had some limitations with my girls, you know, with work and, and couldn't earn quite as much as I would have if I'd been yeah. in a partnership.
So, so, so loads of practical implications about spreading your time and, and, and time available for work and time available for childcare. But just going back to that financial implication, I think with a lot of levels of wealth, it's still a big financial implication if suddenly you're essentially, the pot is paying for two households rather than one household. Mm. I mean, that's a massive implication, um, even for people um, who are relatively wealthy based on the cost of property mm. in some parts of the country. Um, so that's something that, I, and you mentioned on that note that it took you quite a while. You were quite aware that financially there would be implications and you sounds like delayed and put off the separation mm. for those reasons and, and sort of drifted along. Is that the case? Do you think for quite a lot of people and, and Jack, you might have a view on this as well. Do you think that, do you see this with, with, with separation essentially being delayed because of financial concerns? Yeah, on, on the helpline, um, we definitely speak to single parents who either um, jointly or, you know, separately um, to themselves are thinking um, about separating um, and are essentially working out if they can afford it. Um, you know, sort of thinking about the different scenarios, looking at, you know, where they might be able to live, what, you know, where, what, how much they might be able to earn. Um, and to some extent that does dictate maybe not whether they will separate or certainly when they will. So quite often someone will say, I'm planning to, you know, separate from my partner next summer or, you know, and to us that might seem strange that they're delaying it for that long, but it's a necessity, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, it's, 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 it's practical thinking, isn't it, behind something that has tons of emotions uh, to do with it. Um, and I'm going to... I'm going to generalize and stereotype horribly now, uh, so forgive me, but I guess, Helen, you were, I think you explained the, the, the main breadwinner and looked after finances in, in your household. I guess generally um, it's the other way around. Generally it's the husband who's often more of the, the breadwinner. But in terms of the responsibility that you then felt to your ex and, 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 and his finances, after the separation, was that a concern or, okay, we're, we've decided what we're doing, we're pushing on with life and, 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 um, and, and, and we've both got our individual responsibilities now. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was a factor because, you know, we're still friends, we've been amicable about it, there were all sorts of reasons why a relationship had to end, but I never felt like I wanted to take anything and run or do do the dirty on him or anything like that I wanted to be fair yeah. and that's a real burden so I took on the debt I took on the financial responsibility for the home and the, and the children um <clears throat> there have even been times where I've supported <laughs> financially with other things um mm -hmm. and I think the emotions tied up in that and and that some people might agree to things at the point of separation that in retrospect they realise they shouldn't have. So, so to um, you know, be able to think about that because it is emotional, and sometimes you just want to deal with things, you just want it done, dusted. You know, so you might agree to things you you might regret later. So, I'm, I'm so people need a bit of time to think it through. I'm, I'm guessing you have a case in point. Well, I obviously, I mean, not knowing 
how our house is going to be disposed of in the long run. You know, I, I mentioned that, you know, it's mine now. I didn't intend that. I feel guilty about that. I feel worried about how we're going to decide when to split it, what the split should be, because at the point of splitting up, it would have been 50-50. But since then, I've been paying for the house and I've improved the house and so on. So it should no longer be 50-50, but I have no idea what to do. So I obviously need to get some advice about that. But um, I think that that probably is quite a consideration for people. And, you know, the traditional idea of, you know, the father paying for the house and the, the mother living in it until the children grow up. I think there's so many different kinds of families now that that it's never going to, there should never be that expectation that that'll be the formula. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, we mustn't forget that relationships are um, not just between men and women when you take mm. all the different types of relationships out there. Because when I was doing some little bit of research on stats, you know, I was finding stats for divorce amongst same-sex uh, marriages, which um, we may or may not get to later, but there is a huge diversity out there and it's not just the classic old-fashioned um, scenarios. But um, in terms of the impact, um, Helen, on you and, and, and Jack, the impact you see on others, um, we've talked a bit about the financial impact, the sheer cost of the whole, I mean, the cost of the divorce itself and then the cost implications of the new life and the new setup in two households. Um, uh, Financial impact can have, I guess, knock-on effects, can't it, in, in other areas of, 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 of life. And I've you know, heard stories of knock-on effects in terms of, say, mental health, for example. Um, and, 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 and presumably then there are all these practical implications and emotional implications. It's complex, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you can even begin to sum it up. Um, yeah, I think that... Um that there is there's lots of considerations um aside from kind of you know the obvious financial issues i mean one of the key ones that you mentioned already is mental health um i think it, it you know it's it's, mu it's it's very common for separating parents or separating people to experience increased stress anxiety and depression um you know it's a big life change there can be conflict um it can be linked to financial and other types of insecurity so that's a big thing and we, we're sort of very much kind of you know encouraging parents to seek support um to look after themselves to practice self-care there's lots of information on our website and lots of other places out there um and another thing is children um you know is the impact on your children um how to communicate how to explain you know, at what point to to reveal that you're separating, you know, um, at what age can you tell the children exactly what's happening? I mean, our general advice is to, yeah, is to think about your child individually and to um, decide how much detail to give them. Um, but to try and keep things normal, keep the routine normal, um, encouraging them to open up and seek support, um, keeping things, you know, contact up. Um, but yeah, and then it can cause, you know, you can experience people who are in, you know, quite extreme distress. And, you know, we do have people on, on the helpline who are very distressed and we're quite often signposting them to, to places where they can get kind of mental health or, or, you know, other types of emotional support. So, yeah, it can have a wide range of impacts. Yeah, yeah. And I read that the average UK divorce age is 
46 for men and 40, well, pretty much 44 for women, which I guess is that time in life where people are most likely to be in the thick of it in terms of work mm-hmm. and in terms of uh, childcare, where kids might not be quite, may or may not be old enough for that conversation. Um, they've got it all going on right at that kind of age. That is real, the real thick of things. Um, and I guess once you're a single parent, and if you've been through this, you've got more need for, to earn and less time to earn. Hmm. I think one of the things for me is that the sense of responsibility seems bigger not just because you've got the financial responsibility, but because you know, you know that all decisions are pretty much on you. So that's even if you've had an amicable split, you know, you're still ultimately the one who has all the practical arrangements, you know, so it's obviously great when, when people make sort of um, shared arrangements for looking after everything is sort of a really good way to go. But um, yeah, it's just that sense of insecurity and for the first time, I even started to think, oh, goodness, what about my life insurance? What about, you know, I had life insurance, but I started to think I should review that, you know, and what about what if I get ill, you know, and, and all these sort of what ifs that maybe a lot of people don't experience when they're still a couple. Yeah, yeah. It just makes the future more uncertain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and there's definitely a, as you say, a kind of a need for income um and you know for many people that will come through going back into the workplace they might have had to step they might have stepped away for for um you know a few years to bring up young children and have to go back after a gap which brings challenges um might need to be looking for more money or more responsibilities might need flexibility from their employer which isn't always the easiest thing um to you know to reduce hours or to spread out hours or to work from home um, and then childcare, which is um, an incredible expense, um, especially if you are burdened with that yourself or the majority of that yourself. Um, and unless you're entitled to benefits, um, which more people are than you'd expect, but still many people aren't, especially if they kind of have assets, um, then there isn't you know, a great deal of help out there. There's tax-free childcare, which is you know, for good for people who aren't entitled to benefits, but still, it's a huge expense um, and that can be very daunting and lead to, to debt problems for some single parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know makes people question the value of work really can make it yes probably not worth their while is so, it really yeah. worthwhile yeah yeah we just by chance um earlier today we recorded our podcast on caring and one of the things we talked about is parents with children with um, disabilities or chronic long-term illnesses um, who are carers as a result. But uh, as I understand it, uh, parents in those sorts of situations are more likely to separate. Simply, I guess, the, the pressure that they are under. Yeah, we hear it a lot on the, on the helpline. Definitely, you know, can cause lots of, you know, interpersonal kind of issues in a relationship, less, dif- less time, for a couple to work on their relationship, more financial pressure, you know, um, lots of other life getting in the way. So, and also, yeah, people who have disabilities themselves um, are more likely to um, 
separate and, and go through divorce yeah so there are those things to think about lots of complexities there as well mm-hmm. so so when somebody is going through something like this that point of separation or they've announced it to the world and those presumably very difficult months and perhaps years that follow i guess whether you're a financial advisor or not what is the best thing that you can do to support people and uh, yeah let's let's view this with the financial advisor audience in mind but some of it might extend to anybody and everybody who those people might be dealing with what, what can you do what how can you support people going through this um i think that i'd certainly say that just kind of um you know being as much as if you're a financial advisor you'll have a working relationship with your client being a, a you know an open friendly listening ear is useful and and really important um so kind of you know practicing empathy and listening skills um being mindful of the issues that we've kind of we've talked about and the complexities of separation family life and to, you know things like that um and kind of not being judgmental keeping an open mind um you know sort of kind of not making assumptions i think is quite an important one um and trying to you know people often have very complicated feelings during a separation they might on one hand you know be passionately criticizing their former partner but then defending them the next minute so i think understanding you know that that complexity um is 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 a really good one yeah i don't think there has been one podcast Hannah, where we haven't talked about the importance of listening and empathy. No, not at all. And, and you know, as, as Helen talked about earlier as well, the importance of time. So actually, although you need to make sometimes quite quick and rash decisions because of what's happening to you and to your family and, and, and in your life, sometimes it's really important to also, you know, just walk away for a couple of days or a week to think about it. So perhaps, you know, give the, the financial advisor or you as the client more time to think about what's being discussed and the impacts of that, both positive and negative. Here's, here's a tricky question. I know a lot of the people who, who you support, Jack, on the helpline, for example, won't necessarily have financial advisors. Helen, I know you said you didn't, but if you can imagine that scenario where a separating couple has a financial advisor, and, and usually one person is the lead with the financial advisor, but often that advice and planning is for the couple it's for both people right so when two people go their separate waves their separate ways sorry what does the can the financial advisor possibly continue working with with both of them um i wouldn't have thought so um not being a financial advisor myself but but you know having worked in in you know in advice i think there is such thing as conflict of interests. Um, and if you are kind of, you know, giving your client advice about choices they make in their separation, I just think it's very difficult to do that in isolation with with two sort of parties that have, you know, similar interests. So I, I don't think so. I think that it would be about having diplomacy, um, considering whether or not to suggest um, a colleague or bring someone else in from um, your company if you're working with them but even that is not going to be an easy thing and i think it's um it's something that's probably worth i mean i'm sure people will have come across it already you know before listening to this podcast but but if not it's worth just considering what they might do because i think it's worth being prepared yeah i I, so i think you hit the, the the nail on the head there jack i think what's important 
from a financial services point of view is that if we are introducing clients to another financial advisor that we use somebody perhaps within um, the same firm or the same company so that we have a you know a soft introduction so that actually either or, or both parties of, of, of the now kind of separated couple get the opportunity to meet with this new financial advisor while also meeting with an old financial advisor so that they're very comfortable because it would I think be quite difficult to sit in front of somebody you've never sat in front of or seen or spoken to before and you know explain to them that the reason you're having to see this individual is because something so big in your life is happening but then also to go into the you know perhaps the deep dark depths of what's happening with your finances can be quite daunting so it's good to have a familiar face and to, and to take you know time and to have the the sympathy and the empathy of, of both parties as you mentioned earlier yeah i, I can see that that makes a lot of sense I guess, though, if there's a process, if there's a transition, and part of that transition is a process of, for example, splitting assets, the financial advisor might find themselves in that situation where they are, well, you'd hope they wouldn't find themselves in a situation where they're starting to get sucked into some sort of mediator role or anything like that. But that's a tricky process, right? Splitting assets, deciding on how it's all going to be divvied up. Um, Helen, it sounds like you managed that by yourself, but could have done with a bit of bit more or, or maybe better yeah, I, I don't know if that would have been a financial advisor's role I, I think I probably no, no. needed some legal advice but yeah. I guess for financial people to know when legal advice might be appropriate would be really useful you know so for example the mortgage provider who didn't tell us about this till literally the day before <laughs> that's a kind of oh kind of moment um, she should have anticipated that and then I would have known to go off and get some advice. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's about looking at the whole picture of, of all the kinds of advice that people need, not just the finance, I guess. Um, well, we won't name and shame the uh, mortgage <laughs> advisor. We'll, we'll, stay, we'll stay clear of that. But what's, what, what I'm hearing, I guess, is this challenge for, in this case, financial advisors, the types of skills that are needed in a situation like this. Right. So there's the soft skills, the empathy, the listening the not judging, um, retaining a good, productive, positive relationship through and helpful relationship through what essentially we call soft skills. But then there's understanding the technicalities and the legalities and what changes as a result of divorce in terms of ownership of assets, for example, in your case, Helen, the, the, the mortgage arrangements. So it's, it's quite a breadth of skill and knowledge needed I guess, Hannah, isn't it, for financial advisors to navigate or to help couples navigate or these sorts of situations? Absolutely. But of course, it's also very important to, to know where to draw the line as a financial advisor and say, you know, I am a financial advisor, so I can't mediate. I can't determine who legally owns what. But to ensure that no, no matter who owns what, that each individual is set up uh, to deal with their new circumstances as best as they financially can. Yeah, and, and so talking of mediation, is, is mediation something that you would uh, direct uh, people to often, Jack? People on the helpline, I mean, going through that process, is, is that often a, a, a port of call you would suggest people going to? Yeah, 
we, we strongly recommend um, that, that, you know, not everyone, it's not appropriate in some cases, but we strongly recommend it, you know, where possible that people use a mediator. It can, you know, negate the need to take things to court. Um, it can help people to avoid, you know, that type of um, stress and conflict, which may further um, deteriorate a relationship. But um, also, it's a legal requirement, um, you know, before you can go to the court for some issues, you need to have used the mediator. So, yeah, we signpost people to um, organisations like Family Mediation Council um, to find uh, professional mediators. Um, and there was, during COVID, for example, there was a government grant to help people um, afford mediation um, while services were closed. So, yeah, it's a good resource. Okay. Um, so just so people know, um, in terms of signposting, there is the Family Mediation Council, which is familymediationcouncil.org.uk. Um, and there is also National Family Mediation. So that's nfm.org.uk. And would those be the main two signposting routes you would, you would suggest? Yeah, um there's um there's pages on the gingerbread website um there's one in particular called um help when you can't agree which has those places but a few other sources of of um uh, mediation um and sort of talks about the whole subject in a good way i think yeah and we said it time and time again haven't we the financial advisor can't be expected to be the counselor the mediator but if if you know where to uh, signpost people to who are the specialists that can provide help that's um, that's always going to be valuable isn't it so we've got gingerbread um, and and uh, the page on on separating particularly so that's um, information forward slash separating on the gingerbread website and then we've got those two mediation organizations um, and family law solicitors presumably uh, the solicitors have to make some money out of this presumably yeah yeah we do we we, we we have to refer many people to get legal advice, um, especially on yeah on divorce and separation. And we do refer um, to um, a, a number of, we don't refer people directly to companies or to individual practitioners, but um, we refer to different directories, like there's um, the Law Society, um, there's one called uh, Family Law Panel um, that, that we refer people to, all on our Getting Legal Help page on the website. Okay. That's really, really good to know. Um, well, I think that we've had a good conversation. I'm not sure if there's anything we haven't mentioned. If there is, mention it now. I don't know, Helen, if there's anything else from your experiences that you know, we haven't talked about, but um, I, you're still on mute, so I'm, I'm taking that as a no. But well, I, I just sort of, I've just been sitting here thinking that actually the process of separation is often really long. Yeah. So it's the bit before, it's the actual act of separation, probably the simplest bit. And then, you know, adjusting and all of that. So that's probably quite an important thing to keep in mind. You know, I'm still sort of in the process in a way, even though it's probably about eight years on. That's a really interesting observation. And, and, and it's not something that has its duration. And then it just finishes. This idea of drawing a line and then just moving on. It's not quite as mm. uh, simple as that. Mm. Especially when you have children. Um, because you know the children continue to be a reason for you to communicate and to have some form of relationship um, which is something that we, we help many single parents negotiate and navigate. And we've talked mostly today about what happens when that separation is going on but let's not forget about those long-term consequences 
um, something for uh, everyone, including financial advisors, to be really, really aware of, um, because those complications do continue. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, it's been really good talking to you, despite the subject matter, um, to get your insight and to get that reality check. And I think, Jack, you know, to hear you talk from your experience of supporting people three, four hours a day on a helpline, I think is hugely valuable to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and Helen, um, you know, sharing your own experiences is, um, is just uh, massively helpful for us as well. So we're hugely grateful to you for doing that. Um, and, and, and very pleased to have got you guys at Gingerbread um, involved in our podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thanks for having Thank us. You. All Thanks, right, guys. Bye. 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 And we should just say that the Gingerbread website is at www.gingerbread.org.uk and um, that page on separating is, um, once you're on the website, there's a tab that says information and then it's forward slash separating. Um, The helpline number, uh, which everybody should know, is 0808 802. 0925. That's 0808 802 0925. And that is what advisors can signpost their clients to. The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.